vacation rental world needs the structure that the big brands can bring. I agree with you, Adam. I think there's no question that in five years, the major hotel brands play a major role in vacation rental. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Before we get going on this episode, if you find this show and content provides value to you, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review on your podcast app. And if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Both really do help the show get found by new listeners, and we're all about getting more people in on the conversations we're having here. So with that, my guests today are Matthew Loney and Brian Hamawi. They're the hosts of the Guest X podcast. Matthew is also president and CEO of Explory, and Brian is the founder and CEO of Alibo Homes. I initially titled this episode, Hotels Versus Short-Term Rentals. But after we wrapped this episode, that us versus them sentiment didn't seem to fit anymore. Both hotels and short-term rentals are going through difficult times. And if both want to come out stronger on the other side, they should be looking to one another for learnings and support, which ultimately helps our industry as a whole. On this episode, which is really more food for thought than actionable tactics, we try to uncover some of those challenges and look around the corners of the next few years to lend some space for what you may want to be thinking about to put your hotel or vacation rental business in the best possible position. So let's get to it. This is episode 95 of the Proven Principles podcast, Matthew Loney and Brian Hamawi on what hotels and vacation rentals can learn from one another. Enjoy. Matthew, Brian, hosts of the Guest X podcast. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. It is. It's great to great to be here, Adam. Thank you so much for uh, for having us. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, hopefully, some of my audience has listened to your guys' show. I, hopefully, some of yours has listened to ours. We were just talking in the pre-show that we've got interesting. We're kind of coming to the middle of the hospitality industry from opposite sides, hotels to short-term rentals, short-term rentals into hotels, and we're we're kind of meeting in the middle here. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I was thinking um, when you were saying that just before we jumped on, uh, it's very similar to what you're seeing with the OTAs, right? Where there's been this merge of product types where now it's just lodging and they'll offer you, you know, offer them side by side. So I think if regardless of which area of the law of lodging you have kind of specialized in, you know, whether it's podcasts or operations or what have you, you've you've got to really cross over now because um, the lines are becoming pretty, pretty blurred between product types. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think what I've found as I get more into the short-term rental space is in some respects, it's a little more difficult than in the hotel world. My whole background is in hotels. So I've really only been in short-term rentals for about a year, year and a half now. And operationally, you've got to have really strong chops. You've got to really be able to pull a lot together. And I think that's a big function of that is because it's so decentralized, obviously. You don't have one building where everything lives. But the guest expectation on the short-term rental, I think, is much stronger connection with the host or with the owner. They need a lot more hand-holding. They want a lot more hand-holding. And they expect much more personalized experiences. And I, I'm really curious to see as we start to come out of the pandemic and we're kind of halfway through the year here, how that's going to play out in the hotel space. Are guest expectations going to go back to wanting more personal, personalized experiences, more one-on-one time with staff? Or is it going to go the other way where they only want to have staff around if there's a problem? Otherwise, it's like, don't talk to me. I want to remotely check in. I want to remotely pay for everything. 
I'm going to totally drive my own experience. I think you're going to have a hybrid of both. It depends on the destination, the type of travel. I think our challenge in the vacation rental space is exactly what you said. It's not centralized. We have pitched our type of travel, our type of lodging as very independent, very individual. Each home operates completely independently. So we've put ourselves in a very, very tough situation because people expect to arrive to very unique stays. Now, what I've also noticed is hotels have started to pick up on that and they've got a centralized building where they can do all of their operations, but now guests are expecting unique stays as well out of those hotels. We actually had a really interesting guest on our podcast, Chip Connolly, and what he did was each one of his hotels was branded to different articles or you know, different, different things that he found, whether it was through Rolling Stones. And so every single hotel had its own story. And I think what we're starting to see out of hotels is each, each not even the brand, but each hotel needs to pitch its own story and still have that customer service that guests are looking for in a centralized location. That is going to be a challenge for vacation rentals. A little bit of its grass is greener, though, too. So you've got the hotels thinking that it's this personalization and time with the guests and everything. And then you see vacation rental companies that are almost trying to run away from, like, we, you, they're realizing we can't scale if every single guest has to be touched. And every single, you know, so they're, they're almost trying to move. How do we adopt, you know, some of, some of the efficiencies that hotels I think they're going to meet somewhere in the middle where I think is really what you want as guests is you do want a, I think most guests, especially leisure travel, which is really, let's be honest, that's really where I think vacation rentals have and are going to continue to, to shine. But you, you really have people who do want unique stays, but there are certain things they want. They want consistency across other things, right? Uniqueness in your bedding is not, no one's like, oh, I'm really after that. How do I find that, right? So they want the Marriott mattress and the sheets and everything, but they want a unique home that's in the right part of town or it's in a funky part of town or this and that. I think we, if we're not careful, we can overstate a little bit this desire to kind of have this unique experience because when it comes to the staples, how do I check in? Um, what amenities are available? Is there a hairdryer? Does it have a gym? People like to know. It gives them some, I think, cal- there's a calming to knowing what I'm about to go into rather than just having it all kind of up in the air. And that's where vacation rentals, even a, even I think the the furniture and, and some of that, there, I mean, you've seen some brands in vacation rentals that have kind of carved a niche by you know, being able to deliver more of a hotel consistency, but still unique properties. That's a good point. I've been saying for a while now in the hotel space that if you looked at a graph, you've got two lines. You've got the availability and the quality of staff and training. That's maybe a lot to put in one line. And then you've got customer expectations when they go to a property, whatever those things are, right? And wherever those two things eventually cross one another on the graph, that's where most hotels are going to run to. And I think that what you're going to find is, I think we're finding that right now, is the availability of staff rising 
wages, I mean, that whole situation that's going on right now is going to really, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to dictate what services, what type of engagement is offered to guests. And over time, guests are going to be trained to accept a certain level of whatever that thing is. And that's where things I think are probably going to net out when we're done with it. And I guess the, the question, and this is maybe more rhetorical than anything, is what is that ultimately going to look like for these properties? I could tell you for like for my 25 years in, in hotels and working in luxury hotels, where we spend a lot of time and energy trying to come up with programming for people, whether it's how do you activate the spa to get more treatments? How do you engage guests maybe better at the pool? How do you drive more ancillary revenue and like your cabanas? What sort of kids club do you have? What kind of like chef's dinners and winemakers dinners do you have? And like all these like spin classes and yoga classes that you could charge for all this stuff that goes on at these luxury hotels. And what we found is like most of the time people want to leave. It doesn't really matter how much programming, how many experiences you try to incorporate and develop on site for a multi-night stay that's not business, actually in business, usually group is the one who stays in house, they leave. Breakfast, you get the best capture in your restaurant, lunch goes down, lunch usually crashes, and then some people come back for dinner. Otherwise, they're just out exploring the area. And so I, I had a conversation with somebody on the show yesterday who, who's put together this uh, effectively a marketplace of experiences that people can enjoy when they're on site that they can buy from the hotel. And anyway, listen to the episode, <laughs> you'll learn more about it. It just got me wondering, like, is that really what people are expecting when they go to hotels these days? And I don't know, do people say they want it? But I mean, the pickup on these things is, is usually pretty low. I think it depends on the travel destination as well. I mean, we're going to an all-inclusive next week, and that's exactly what we're looking for. Stay on resort, look for the amenities, kids club. How much can we do there, relax and, and you know do our thing there, and then possibly explore a little bit. But I'm not going to Mexico to try to travel Mexico. That wasn't the intention. But I think if you look at certain hotels, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Most people come to the Disney area. You know, they're building these phenomenal hotels. They have all of these facilities, but how, how long do people actually stay in the room? And they're probably some of the most expensive hotels you can stay in with amazing facilities, but they're never getting used. Right. They're going there to go to Disney. So of course exactly. they're going to leave your hotel. Yeah. Yeah. So how far do you go with with the build out of the hotels and building out experiences? It's a hard it's a hard thing to to figure out. Like you know, you talk about the story of a property. I agree with you completely. The lifestyle property needs a story because you you need to have a reason that you've got record players in your room and whatever your artisan coffee experience and the law, all that stuff. Like there has to be a reason for that. But the beige room in Miami and Cleveland, where you don't really know where you're at. You know, you mean you're just staying there for the points. It's a funny, it's a funny place that we're in right now. And I think we've gone the opposite direction with vacation rentals. So one of the big exercises that we're doing here is we're building purposeful or purpose-like communities that include resort amenities. So the most popular communities to book in right now are these vacation rentals. And they've built these community centers that have restaurants, the water slides, they've got, you know, game rooms and all of this kind of stuff. So we're trying to be more resorts rather than vacation rentals or hybrid of both. I want to get your guys's take on where things are at from your perspective right now. We're coming through the first part of the year. Restrictions are across the country are by and large gone. 
we're seeing high rates, high occupancy, tons of airline, tons of airline uh, cancellations. <laughs> if you if you're paying attention to the news there, you talk to a lot of really interesting people on your show. You're pretty ingrained in the or pretty um, embedded in the industry. Where are we at right now from your guys' perspective? I think from vacation rentals, it, it really depends on what the last couple of years was was like for you. So there's no question vacation rentals and drive to destinations in the US right now are going to be down over last year. No one who had spent any real time in the vacation rental industry didn't see that coming. You could not keep up the pace of last year. I think to your point, I think this year is the first year where most Americans are pretty comfortable now thinking about jumping on a plane and going somewhere. This is probably the real first travel season where they feel comfortable. They feel comfortable flying overseas. You know, I think that's probably still a little iffy for, for some Americans, but they definitely within the U S and you know, the islands and going down to the Caribbean and stuff like that. Like I think most people feel so and I also think there's a little bit of some beach fatigue as, as we've, we, they've coined it a little bit in the vacation rental industry where three years in a row, that was your drive to destination. You felt comfortable going there. And now it's just like, look, we just got, we want to go some anywhere, but there this year. And there's a little bit of that. So I think it's still well above 2019 numbers, but I think you combine that with what is definitely the inflation is hurting middle America, whether it's the gas prices, the food prices, I, I think it tends to be, you know, see all of the above. There's no question that that's having an effect. And I think people are also getting a little more concerned about, you know, where does this, what's this look like in 12 months, six to eight, eight months. So people are, are putting off some of the big purchases. So I think we're going to see an, higher occupancy than 2019, lower occupancy in most markets than 2021. I'd love to get your take though on where is the hotel industry? Because unlike, I think, vacation rentals, I got to believe that that there's a belief that whatever the effects, whatever the long-term effects are on business travel, that that game has changed permanently. Now, to what degree, and that was really not something vacation rentals were ever really concerned about. So I think I think vacation rentals are of the mindset of, it's always gonna probably be better than it was in 2019, short of some major recession, because the industry has been elevated to more commonplace and travel probably has tilted even more so to if you're traveling more likely than not, it's leisure travel. So I, I think that's where our industry is. But I mean, do you have a sense on, do the hotels, I mean, is their view, we're going to eventually get some of the business travel back, but we've got to figure out how to get a bigger chunk of leisure because it's never going to get to the numbers we once saw. Is that, are, they, are they resigned to that, do you think? or Yeah. I think at this stage, actually, I'm really interested to see how the budget, the budget season for 23 goes. So we're you're get, which will be coming up. I hate, in I a hate few to months, bring it up now amazing. in May, but like, yeah, you're only no, you're three right. months away from budget season. Um, you are. So I hate to be that guy, but 
if you look at the STR performance across the country now, so so STR Smith Travel Research, they if anybody if you don't know, it's a major metric for the hotel industry where they will index your hotel performance against a competitive group of hotels for occupancy rate and your RevPAR, your revenue per available room. And virtually every hotel in the country subscribes to it. They get their results. But every week on Thursdays, STR will release national statistics on their website. So just get a press release. So you can go see this. And what's interesting to see is is the numbers are are lining up exactly like you're talking about, where they're better than last year, but not as good as 2020 or 2019. 2020 is throwaway year. Nobody's looking at that. That's largely driven by leisure travel. Business travel is starting to come back. I think it's interesting to see the divergence of requirements to go back to the office. And I don't yet know how that's going to affect the business travel industry. If not going back to the office also means not really needing to travel because there's a lot of travel related to going to an office in another city. So, you know, there's going to be that. Of course, there's salespeople that are on the road and they want to meet their clients. I mean, there's all that. There's group travel has picked back up in different parts of the country, but not a lot, not a lot of them. It's the it's the parts that had had reduced restrictions earlier in the pandemic. And so they they had the benefit of a longer runway of booking group. And so they're getting the benefit of that today. It's going to be really tough for hotels to figure out how to fill the hole of business travel from Monday to Thursday going forward. It might not be hard right now, but get out of this high season. You get into some of those shoulder seasons or the dead of winter. You're thinking like a Tuesday in February, a, mo- a lot of places are going to be empty because they don't. there's no leisure to fill that, right? And so if you were at a certain percentage pre-pandemic, that percentage is obviously a lot lower today. And I don't know that it's ever going to come back. So, you know, we're seeing obviously higher rates right now. It's a combination of a lot of factors. It's they charge it because they can get it (laughs) and everybody else is charging it. So why not elevate us and why not try to refill the coffers a little bit at the same time while we can, while there's a lot of propensity for spending. Do you think that the staffing issue is not going to go away? And I don't know of any organization that's really thinking about doing recruiting and retention in a different way than just throwing $1,000, $2,000 signing bonuses at the candidate. Everybody's doing that. Everybody's raising their rates by a buck or two an hour. But is anybody really thinking about how to fix some of the fundamental scheduling and cultural issues in the hospitality industry? And I, I don't know if they are. I haven't heard of anybody. Nobody's really getting out over their skis on this to try to really create a new way of, of approaching this. And when I say that, it's easy for me to throw that out there. Let me give you an example of what that means. Are you thinking about scheduling in a different way? Scheduling people, try a four-day work week. Try unlimited vacation. Try allowing people to work when they want. This is so against, and even me saying this out loud right now, I'm, I have to have, I have to be able to hold two thoughts in my brain at the same time because I could say it because I'm not in it. It's easy for me to just throw these ideas out there, but I think about what it was like making a schedule or having to, to staff for unpredictable needs, which is totally a, a thing. You don't know that this weekend, right now you're empty and then you come in on Friday and you're full this weekend. Like that still happens. 
I don't want to underplay how challenging some of those operational things would be to put into place, but that's what you're competing against when your candidates are looking for other jobs out there. Because there's not a lot of people that are looking at hospitality as a viable career option today. For a lot of reasons, it's a, it's a difficult industry to make a living. The pay isn't great. You're always working when everybody else is off because when they're off, they're staying with you. Culturally, yeah, you can't work from home. At least in operations, you can't. Can't work from home. <laughs> it's like Elon Musk. Yeah, I mean, Elon Musk the other day, you know, made made a big stink, but he, you know, he rightfully said, our factory workers can't work at home. Why do our office people get to work from home? And, you know, it, it bothered some people, but that's right. I mean, you're you're right. It, that That's a, if, if, if all these other industries are offering work from home positions, work where you want, and they're paying the same, and you're not working weekends, and you're not working nights, that's hard to combat. So if you have people that don't want to work at your, at your resorts and we have, I mean, we've improved technology so much. At what stage do you start replacing humans with technology without effect, affecting essentially the culture of the business or, you know, the guest experience ultimately? But in my mind, I start to think about it. And if you have people working in a resort or at a vacation home, they enter a door and Matt, we just had a podcast on this, right? You have unhappy people working somewhere. Do you want that face in front of your people, in front of your guests? Or do you replace it with something that's consistent? You don't have to battle with that mood's not showing up or whatever else comes with it. Figure out what positions you really do need the humans for, hire and pay well for those positions, and then replace with technology. Yeah, that's a great question. And the hospitality industry has never been accused of being leading edge when it comes to technology adoption. <laughs> this is a, a unique period in time where you may be forced to do that. You, you may just be drag kicking and screaming to implement automated self-check-in in a hotel because you, there's literally like, no body might be better than the wrong body in a position, right? But we've also wired ourselves over COVID to do that. So- Prior to COVID, I would have said that is going to be a really difficult exercise. What we have done over COVID if we, is we've started to wire ourselves that we don't we want contactless check-in. We don't need a human to walk our luggage up to our bedrooms. We don't need so there's already an element where we've transitioned from needing humans for part of the stay interaction to technology driven. I would argue pretty strongly that. That is an expectation of a significant percentage of your guests today. And by not having it, you're not meeting them with at the place where they want to receive the service. So it might just be this sort of mental hurdle to get past automating some of the services in your hotel because you think it's what people, you don't think it's what people want. You think it's what people don't want. When, yes, if the implementation of it goes against what people have come to expect from your brand. You really, you can't rush into it. Four Seasons can't just rush into having check-in kiosks in their lobby. That's just not the way that things are gonna go, right? But I promise you with the right amount of, of thinking and testing and talking to their customers, there is a right implementation for that with their brand. And that's gonna work across the board with just about everybody, but it's gonna take some time. 
So that's a big difference between us and, and vacation rentals because vacation rentals for the most part now, I mean, there, there are very few that have check-in centers. For the most part, all our vacation homes are, you arrive at your house, you have problems, you call us, we'll have somebody there. But we don't have on staff meeting people at the homes, checking them in, you know, doing that whole entire service, which helps us out. Operationally, we're much more complicated, but that is one aspect that we've automated. I think the popular the rise in popularity of vacation rentals will help hotels achieve a customer expectation that's maybe a little different than where they would have struggled alone to move them to maybe a contactless check-in now because vacation rentals to Brian's point. And by the way, if the hotel industry is behind from technological advancements, the, the vacation rental industry is 10 years behind the hotel industry, right? So they didn't go there because they, they foresee, you know, foresaw a, a global pandemic. They, they went there because to Brian's point, operationally, you don't want your guests driving 20 minutes past the home they rented to an office to pick up a key to drive 20 minutes back. I mean, that's just a really bad and it's it's just operationally very inefficient for them. So they they had to go to this, but it has trained gas. And I, I agree with what you said there. I think that there are, that's the key, I think, for hotels right now is find the things where you're swimming downstream. And I do think contactless check-in, not across, not to where there's nobody in the lobby, but less people in the lobby who are paid higher, who are your best of the best, because I think, and then I think what you're going to see is more and more will go over there. I was just in Maui maybe a month ago, and I was staying in a, a hotel, and I remember sitting there in front of a desk as this person typed, I don't know how many keystrokes. And I remember thinking to myself, how can it take that many keystrokes to put me in a room that I've already booked? Why, you know, like Marriott's contactless key has never once worked for me. And I am the most loyal Bonvoy person. Like, why is this hard? Uh, and I'm sure it's way more difficult, but I do think, I think more and more people, if they find the areas where it's just, they're moving with the changes rather than trying to convert people to a different change. And I'll give you an example. I don't think that, um, rooms not getting cleaned is swimming downstream. I think you're swimming. You're trying to convince me that this is the way it's going to be. And I, I think that's much harder than getting me to walk in and realize I can just go over there and check in and not, not talk to anybody and go to my room. That feels more in line with what I want than trying to convince me that, oh no, you know, we're, we're moving away from you know, unless you've stayed three or four days, we're not going to clean your room. They, I don't know, maybe just fighting the wrong fights. That comes down to product, right? Again, it comes down to vacation rentals. That's okay. We go an entire week, two weeks without having to do a clean in a house versus a hotel. The expectation is we want daily cleans. And it depends on the brand of the hotel as well. The style of cleaning. I mean, you can't do four, you, you expect four seasons to do a full-blown my room looks spectacular on point every time I walk in. Whereas some of the lesser brands don't have the need to do that and they are cutting back and it's okay. Adam, is that what you mean by, real, real quick, Adam, just, just so I can clarify my head, but is that what you mean? Do you think 
that they're going to become just more clearly bifurcated. Like I think of the airline industry, there's Southwest and Allegiant and, you know, no first class, you, you don't, you pay for your carry-ons or if you want them both. And then there's Delta, United and American, right? There's nothing in between in America. And is that where you think hotels are going to go? They're either going to go really far to one side or the other? Yeah, I think they've been there for a long time. Most of the brands, there's really no difference. I mean, you know, I'm sure any any loyal Hyatt or IHG or Marriott or whoever person will tell me there's a huge difference. But, you know, fundamentally, you're trading on loyalty programs. I mean, they're all in the same locations. They all They all work with the same half dozen hotel designers out there and half dozen branding agencies out there. They all have a similar kind of feel, similar menus. There's no, there's no difference really. Where you're seeing the difference is where I think hotels thought they were going to try to differentiate was with the proliferation of lifestyle brands. And these, and Marriott's done a good job of this, where they've, they've tried to create this very residential experience in some of their their hotel brands where you go in and they've got cool couches and we were talking about earlier there's a cool story maybe there's some great art in the place and they have a bit of a quirky restaurant and you know whatever you know you've you've been into them and them you've seen them and what's also been interesting is that those brands have sucked most of the oxygen out of the rate world so there's especially you know Merit's a really good example of this where it's just about every $10 increment in rate, there's a brand for you to stay at. <laughs> there's like there's there's no gap in that, you know, $50 to $5,000. There's really no gap in there. You can stay at a Marriott property, right? But what I think that that's, that's created, there's this, this sort of unintended consequences from that, from a, when everything tries to have a different story, everything starts to feel a little bit the same. And you can't really identify with anything. You know, there's no reason to go. I'm sure you've heard of the blue ocean, red ocean thing where like, you know, in, in hospitality industry, it's like, it's all red water. <laughs> there's blood in the water everywhere. It's really hard to find a place in the hotel industry where nobody is really competing. And a company like, a hotel company like Citizen M has done a really good job of carving out this really unique niche that you can, I think, is relatively easy to get behind because of how they've positioned it. And yeah, the fundamental thing is like, come and hang out in our lobbies. We've got cool food. It's a place that you want to hang out. There's some staff around that can help you with whatever you want. Your room is well-designed, but it's small and it's for sleeping. Otherwise, get out and enjoy the area. Oversimplifying it, but that's, having stated a few of them, that's kind of the deal. That's kind of a thing that I could get behind. Now, I'm probably their target demo and I, that their properties are not going to be for everybody. But you got to find the, the clear water in the industry if you're going to build a lifestyle brand. You got to give people a reason to stay at your place other than just cool uniforms and make your own cappuccinos in the lobby or whatever your hook is, right? And that's the problem is that there's no reason to do that other than if you're just a points hoarder, get your Marriott points and then, you know, do it for business travel like most people used to do. And then you spend all your points staying at the Ritz when you go on vacation over Christmas. That's been the playbook for a long time. We are in a very interesting place on both sides of the coin. I think hospitality in general is going to have to rethink the way we do things, the way we present things operationally. 
on an experience side, I think we're going to have to rethink it quite a bit as well and figure out how hotels play a role and how vacations, vacation rentals play a role as well and who takes what space, if, if any, to take 100% of either one. Well, I'm really interested to see how this plays out because you know I've sat around board tables that have had conversations about how do we deal with short-term rentals? How do we deal with the Airbnbs down the street? They're stealing share. And with Marriott and Accor going so hard into that space, putting a lot of time and money and energy into short-term rentals, there's very obvious synergies between the two. I, in my mind, they're not really very different. It's like you've just got you've got a hotel building or you've just got a hotel spread out over town. They see it as as space where they can win. And rather than losing share, we're just going to create an environment where we gain share, where they can still stay in the universe, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if we're having this conversation five years from now. And and every hotel company has got a short-term rental version of their business. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do think that that's where this is going. The flip side to that is short-term rental regulations right now that just seem to be going nuts everywhere, how that's going to play into this here. Because if the hotel companies, if there's a viable way for them to keep people in their walled garden by proliferating short-term rentals within their environment in a location, they're not going to want to have a lot of barriers to be able to do that. So are you going to see short-term rental regulations continue to grow or are those going to start to get pulled back with you know, all of the lobbying and, and all that that goes on from the, uh, the hotel space. So I, I don't know, but I think that that's a space to watch. And that's a really interesting point. That's an interesting point because I think if you go to see the lobbying, I've, I've been to Tallahassee a few times with uh, lobbying efforts on behalf of, you know, vacation rentals. And you had the argument where hotels were fighting vacation rentals. They just didn't want us. And then that same hotel is fighting against their short-term rental business so you have both sides of the same company arguing against each other, against the same regulations. One side, the hotel doesn't want it, but then the same companies arguing, well, we do need it as they're lobbying. If it is going to succeed and if they're going to accept or take on the challenge of vacation rentals, they're going to have to support the vacation rental industry. Uh, it might be by destination as well. You know, it might not be just a broad stroke, we're going to support it, but it might have to be very regional. Yeah, it could be, you know, does Marriott come in and buy a Vacasa rather than just trying to spin something up on their own? Or maybe Marriott's maybe not the right one, but does a big hotel company come in and buy an existing huge manager? The challenge there is understanding the operations of vacation rentals. The, you know, as a hotel, you guys you function in a certain way. Your operations are very streamlined, whereas vacation rentals just don't operate 100% like hotels do. We just don't. There's no way to do that. And I think that that's something that has to be embraced by the hotel industry if they want to see succeed as a vacation rental. Because ultimately, the homes aren't owned by the property managers. The homes are owned by a homeowner, by an investor. And that's where the big challenge begins. I think Marriott is actually, and, and Accor is doing it through one fine stay, but I think right now Marriott is is winning and I think it's because Marriott corporate, and I'm just guessing here, but they've said, this is pretty similar to our hotels. We don't own those either. They're all franchised. We don't own a single one. So we don't want any, we don't want to own any of these property managers. 
We just want them to all work through us. Now, it's going to take time before they're driving enough volume um, that they can really dictate all of the terms and get the standards to the level they want. And I think I think that has set them back a little bit on their heels. They're like, well, this isn't as easy as we thought to drive traffic to these guys. But I mean, they are, you know, people are fighting over getting listed with uh, Marriott Homes of Villas. I just stayed in my first Marriott Homes of Villas property. It was beautiful in London. So I think it fits their space. And I think the vacation rental world needs the structure that the big brands can bring. So I think it will, I, I agree with you, Adam. I think there's no question that in five years, the major hotel brands play a major role in vacation rental. It's just, what does it look like? Is it really just strictly that OTA model? And how reliant are the vacation rental managers on the hotels at that point to be driving there? Because even if Marriott can do it, I would argue like if Marriott can't do it with their loyalty team, with the loyalty program, nobody can do it. I, I, is my take really? So even if Marriott can, I don't know that that means every other hotel can really command the buy-in from property managers and homeowners that maybe a Marriott can. So that'll be an interesting battle too. Well, that's a good point, and I could tell you from personal experience, like my brain is wired to run a building. And as soon as I got into running homes, I had to completely rethink operations, like completely turn it around. And that's taken, that's been a big challenge. And that's, I'm one person trying to make that happen. We, with obviously with the team and my business partner and that, but if you've got a juggernaut, like a big hotel company coming in where dozens of people have to rethink how they do things, relearn a skill. And each coming in with their own way of doing things and their own view of the world. Like this is, yeah, it, you bring up, Matthew, you bring up a really good point. Like I can see it falling on his face real fast. It is different. Huh. It's an interesting point, but you know, we'll see, I guess we're just going to have to see how it shakes out. It's, uh, this industry is changing. I keep seeing stories every day about regulations getting more, more and more strict. We're trying to grow our management company. We're trying to figure out where to go. We don't, we want to get into buildings and come to find out that like our roadmap of just about every city that we were looking at to get into buildings in have some version of regulations where it makes that almost impossible to do. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out like, okay, what is the right path forward now? Because onesie twosieing management agreements on homes is not an effective way to scale your business. It could be very difficult. And I, I agree with what Brian said. I think, I think some of that is going to be it's going to be fought in, you know, it, is it strictly leisure type markets, which are having some, some flare ups of some regulatory issues, but ultimately look, and, and maybe I, I could be wrong, but you know, a place like where I live, Destin, Florida, we have 12,000 people who live there year round. There's a hundred and some odd thousand there on any given weekend in July. That town doesn't exist without vacation. It is vacation rentals, right? Those markets, I think, while there may be stirrups, I think this too shall pass. The question is, what happens in the the more city urban markets? And you do see in Honolulu, on Oahu, they have effectively eliminated all vacation rentals on Oahu except within resorts, which is really Koalina. 
And there's a couple of individual towers downtown that somehow, because because the, the hotel lobby is just so strong in Honolulu that they carved out probably because it's somebody's friend who's got, you know, rentals in one tower, but it, they've, they've crushed it. And I think the hotels will be successful in crushing it in the areas where they just say, it's just better. It's, it's, even if it hurts that side of the business, we're trying to grow in these kind of select type markets. Um, it's better to, to flex our muscle and just have everybody staying in our physical properties than through than booking through whatever kind of vacation rental OTA we've built. Yeah. It's a little bit of short-term pain for some long-term gain, perceived long-term gain on that side of things. I, you know, I just had this thought before we wrap here, I know we're running a little long is the argument against short-term rental expansion in a city has been house, lack of affordable housing. Prime, that's the primary argument that you hear. And depending on what data points you look at, that's true or not. You know, we don't have to have that discussion unless you want to. But as we start to come down some of the highs in the real estate industry, there's a lot of news going on right now about real estate might be at the top and these things are cyclical. It's going to come down again. There's eventually you can see a situation where people are maybe underwater in their homes. Maybe they're trying to sell something. I I don't know what the what the specific things are going to be, but as housing prices start to come down, does that then get rid of that argument that affordable housing is a reason to not do short term rentals? And then you and then maybe cities start to come around. This is a really convoluted like thought process. I'm thinking about it as I'm, as I'm talking, but I think you get my point. Like, could we come back? Could this thing rebound? Did we go so far in one direction that the pendulum is going to swing again and, and make it a lot easier to, to, to grow your business? I, I don't know, but I just think there's a lot of stuff going on in the market right now up in the ether that needs to settle out. It's still so early. I do too. I think we're in for some challenging times, some change, which makes it, it's exciting because I think if you have uh, an innovative brain, it's a, it's a good time to come into the market and rethink some of these things and, and come out with maybe not new things, but yep. fixed things. Yep. Guys, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. It was great. If you, if anybody listening to the show here hasn't listened to the Guest X podcast, uh, go check it out, please. And if uh, you're listening to the show on the Guest X podcast, yes. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes. The Proven <laughs> Principles podcast. Please uh, get over there and, and see Adam. And because I, I will tell you, there's a lot our industry can learn from the hotel industry and things we can steal. I think um, OTA management, by the way, has been a big, is a big piece of that. <laughs> you know, I, I think the success that vacation rentals have had against the OTAs, and some would say, well, the, how much success, but there's still a lot of property managers who, you know, it's 80% is direct, right? But because they watched hotels go through what, you know, was pretty painful for a while where their business was really out of their control. I think that's just one small example of a lot that we can learn from just looking at the, at the hotel industry, both, you know, historically and from operations and everything else. So I, I hope our, uh, our, our listeners will make time for Adam's podcast, the Proven Principles podcast, because uh, there, there's a lot of crossover and a lot to be learned. And thank you for having us. 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for the talk. We should uh, we should do this again. We'll and do I'm it sure again. We'll find some things to rant over. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. This was my episode with Matthew Loney and Brian Hamawi. You can learn more about them and the Guest X podcast at guestxpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.